Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teamwork, A Better Way. I'm Christian Napier, joined by my amazing co-host who just recently returned from Canada, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Good, Christian Napier. Good to be with you. Yes, and good to be home and, and enjoy always being up in the Great White North. Though it was colder here when I was up there. Really? Yeah. Did you come home to snow in your yard? There was a a, a small amount. Yes, very. We were quite disappointed that the snow had all melted by the time we got back. Really, ours is still around. We still have about four inches of snow in our yard. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, yeah, it snowed so, and sleeted and, and uh, frozen, frozen, freezing, freezing, whatever. It, <laughs> the, the rain froze while we were uh, there for a while, but then it, then it warmed up. So, but oh, uh, beautiful, good. beautiful, beautiful trip. Well, welcome back. And I, I guess I should say for uh, everybody else who's listening, that's not on the old imperial system, but on the metric system, about 10 centimeters of snow. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and uh, we have today a fantastic guest someone who i met earlier this year at south by southwest in austin texas who is uh really on a mission to reduce the failure rate of startups and that's paul manivanen and uh, paul thank you so much for being here uh, i'm going to just give a little bit of background on you paul if that's okay so uh You've been in, you started out, you, you spent a lot of time in the recruitment business, in the hiring business, and over your career, you've hired over 10,000 people. And then in 2020, you made a pivot. You had 670 people on your payroll and you decided, hey, I want to get involved in startups, in tech, in the U.S. market. And you became driven by this mission to reduce this failure rate of startups and uh, since that time, you founded this company called Max Tech, which really is focused on tech startups from seed from seed to Series B funding. Uh, and you introduce the founders of these startups to venture capital firms. Uh, you help them with strategic talent advice. Uh, you provide talent as a service and a talent investment program, which was super interesting. And when I met you back in March at South by Southwest, I thought you were one of the most fascinating people that I met while I was there, which is saying something because I met a lot of interesting mm -hmm. people. And so, Paul, it's a, it's a, an honor to have you join us today. How are you? Well, firstly, I'm, I'm blushing. I'm blushing right now um, because that was a wonderful intro. Uh, thank you very much for that. And, and the second thing I wanted to say before we went into the story and, and, and how this all works is that um, it, it absolutely blows my mind that I've got two American guys talking about how cold it is when I live in the north of England. And uh, I'm currently in the north of England. It's supposed to be cold here, but we've had no snow. And we're all complaining about how cold it is, but uh, but it obviously is much colder where you are because you've got frozen rivers and and snow and everything. So um, you're making me feel like I live in some tropical place now, <laughs> which, uh, which 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 not many people think when they think of Manchester in the north of England. Well, I'm happy that we caught you while you were in Manchester because you're on the road a lot. You're you know yes. if you follow Paul on LinkedIn. If you follow the hashtag Better Call Paul, I'm telling you right now, you should follow that. 
hashtag. Uh, you'll see him. He's in Austin, Texas. He's in Miami. He's all over the place. He's over here in the States all the time, uh, which uh, sometimes is not easy because you've got a family. And so finding that balance and you know, stuff can be difficult. But, you know, let's if it's OK, I'd like to start with with uh, how you got involved in this this pivot that you made coming from this this background of uh, recruitment and hiring. And then in 2020, which everybody knows that's the year that COVID hit, right? Uh, making this transition and finding this new purpose, which was really to help yeah. startups. Yes. So um, thank you for the uh, for the very kind introduction. I think from my point of view, um, you can see actually my why they're, they're behind me. My children are there uh, on the pictures behind me. It's usually kind of um, uh, sort of opaqued out, but you can see them there. So from my point of view, I've been in the services industry now for uh, over two decades. Um, you'll see from my LinkedIn that I was previously a police officer. So I worked in the public sector here in the UK. Um, within the services piece and then I moved into a family business um, which effectively for the last decade has meant that I've, I've owned or run um, recruitment and hiring businesses um, across several different niches and several different areas um, for that entire period and uh, it's there where I've you know I've learned a lot of the lessons and a lot of the, um, the kind of the ideologies of of, uh, of of recruitment and hiring and people and understanding, I guess, those levers and those psychological points that really help businesses to move forwards from a from a culture point of view. So um, fast forwarding, obviously, or rewinding, I guess, for this uh, this particular um, uh, story um, to th that time around about two, three years ago, where um, at the time the business that I had was we had around 700 people on payroll. Um, I had a team, internal team of around about 40 people and a, quite a large leadership team as well. And, um, and, and you know, brutally and honestly, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't, it's, it's never really, I've, I guess, from my roots, I've always wanted to work more directly with people and I've always wanted to be kind of be in the thick of things. Um, so at the time, I was doing quite a lot of work. We were doing quite a lot of work for the UK and European governments um, supporting the COVID efforts and um, and, the, and the COVID programmes here in, the, in Europe. And uh, but ultimately, I knew that, that we would need to pivot and we would need to, to, to move forwards as a business. And so what I did at the time was I looked into the market and I looked at the, at the communities that I wanted to serve because the way that I always, I've always built my businesses is to understand um, and, um, and to, to create the target um, client that I want to work with and then to understand their challenges and to work back from those from those challenges. Um, so uh, if you understand what the top 10 challenges of, of your target clients are, and then you, 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 you look to build a service that meets that challenge. And so I was really kind of, uh, my eyes were open to the tech market. We, we, we recruited and hired in that space uh, you know, sort of sporadically in the business that I owned. Uh, but I really wanted to look at that a little bit harder. So I spent some time um, initially, spent some time in the in the UK and then over into Europe and then laterally uh, into the US where I spent some time on the East Coast, the West Coast and Central. And during that time, I learned lots of things about sort of founders and the people that I spoke to um, from, from kind of um, 
all the challenges that they were facing in, in building stuff. But I guess there were two major points that came to light. One was I was completely besotted um, with the Startup Scale-Up um, network um, and founder teams because I, I just don't think there's any other area of, of, of business where people are so dedicated and so motivated. You know, you have middle-class um, guys driving 14 hours in their cars to sleep in their cars for six months whilst they bootstrap a business. Um, and I, I, you just don't really see that, that level of determination and resilience elsewhere. The one sad thing that I, that I came across was the failure in five years ratio. And the failure in five years ratio is, is far too high in the tech industry, in, in my opinion. And, um, and as I built this out and I began to speak to more and more founders initially, what that did was led me also to, to investors and VCs. And I started to speak to those guys as well about why why were these failures happening? Why were people struggling so much? And I think there's a whole host of reasons from sort of people to finance to um, the, the, you know, the environment um, to the understanding of the of the founders and founder teams. But it, for me, it was about, you know, in my, for my wheelhouse and, and the stuff that I, you know, the, the skills that I have and the experiences that I have, I thought a huge challenge here was, was about the people. Okay, so what actually happens in general is that companies, they, they grow out these these amazing ideas. So you get a founder that kind of not, that sees a huge gap in the market and they get an MVP and they start to kind of really take that idea forward. And then what happens with that is um, they, they find the MVP, but then what they need to do is scale the business. And it's so often the difficulty is to find the right people for the right seat. Um, and I talk about this all the time, but it's so, so important to find those people. And quite often the people that you can afford are maybe not the right people to take your business forwards. And the people that you can't afford perhaps are, but then they feel like they're out of your reach. So it's about trying to kind of bridge the gap with that. Um, and what, I mean, I can speak to you, I can, you know, we can talk more about the, the services that we offer. We offer a three-part service, which is strategy, talent role mapping, and then delivery. And we can talk about that as well. But I think that is where things really changed for me when I when I started to understand the, the real challenges that founders, uh, founder teams were, were going through. Uh, and similarly, um, how those, those challenges were transferring into the VCs and the VC portfolios and how there wasn't really a solution to, uh, to, um, to kind of overcoming that. And, and it became my mission, it became the thing that I, that I pushed hardest for. Um, and there's some other services, as you've mentioned, that we've kind of tagged on to this as well, the founders and funders piece, where we now help startups to, uh, who are looking to raise money to, to generate, to, to firstly to improve themselves and get themselves ready to raise. And then once they're ready to raise, um, we, we will look to make introductions as well to try and help them to, uh, to get along that journey and um, obviously uh, decrease the number of um, startups that are failing at the moment. Paul, it's interesting to uh, hear you really reinforce something that that Christian and I believe very strongly, and that is, you know, the the success of an organization, startup or otherwise, is uh, you know often comes down to to people, and I I really intrigued by something that you said, or I thought I heard you said, is that sometimes organizations feel that the right person they can't afford 
And so they actually buy the wrong person, which is what they can't afford. Is that kind of what you were saying? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like you, you can't afford not to get, uh, you know, the, 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 the right person. And that means sometimes you may yeah. have to pay more than, than you anticipated. So I, I want to make sure that that's what I, I understood maybe a little differently than what you said. And how do you find those right people? You talk about getting the right people on the bus. Finding those right people and making the commitment to right people sounds like it is absolutely crucial to, to long-term success. Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, uh, in, in my opinion, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I sit in the same camp as you guys in terms of that focus on people and human beings, which is 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 100% the way in which these businesses will grow or, or and they will live and die by those those decisions, in my opinion. So I think from 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 this point of view, um, it's really really important to to understand firstly what the business is trying to achieve. So I think quite often the problem that you have with 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 companies is that they don't um, always understand what their north star is. We talk about north stars, and so you know what is it that you're trying to achieve? What is it that makes you different? What's your uh, your, your employer your employer value proposition? Um, what are you trying to do? And I think once you're clear with that and you can you can push out your narrative, um, then it's much, much easier to attract the right people. But you have to be really brave. So it takes a lot of stuff. It takes um, a clear vision on what you want and where you want to go. It takes bravery in pushing that narrative and believing that the right types of people will come forward. But I also think you definitely need the right partners. And one thing that I haven't spoken about today, I think is the is the genuine distrust around, you know, the relationship between sort of hiring, hiring managers and businesses and external agencies and that kind of distrust and that kind of um, lack of breakdown of communication. And I think what's really important is that Firstly, you understand what you want. Secondly, um, you, you, you're very brave in the way that you go after those people. And third, that you make really strong um, partnerships with professionals who understand the landscape and are really clear on what it is that you're looking for. So, Paul, just drafting off what you just said there, uh, we've heard in the news about all these layoffs that have happened in tech, right? So you would think theoretically that, hey, we, we have a larger labor pool. We should have uh, an increased chance to find the right person. Yet I've talked to a lot of people that are still really struggling to find yeah. the right people, even though the big tech companies like Amazon and all these others have been reducing their workforce so you know why are we still having this what's going on the right people in this market <laughs> so um it's it's actually it's quite simple and it's happened time and time again in the market and when when the layoffs came so when the layoffs came at the back end of last week last year sorry um uh and uh, the those some of those layoffs i think were around december time and then you had the problems with svb and so many of the clients that i was working with and the people that we were looking to kind of work alongside with my primary partners they were talking about this huge market of, of new talent and um, i think the challenge um, and i don't want to kind of blanket everybody here but I just wanted to kind of put this point across is it's quite difficult. And I don't know whether this is something that's quite often mentioned within US culture, but it's, it's often more difficult to find a needle in a haystack than to scrape the barrel. Okay. And the needle in the haystack problem 
is real because you get you, you put a job now on on LinkedIn um, and they'll have 800 applicants and 790 of those won't be fit for purpose because they're, they're just maybe they're just guys who you know maybe they just need some work and they're, they're trying to apply for something hoping that, that they're going to find you know that right fit but obviously for the employer to go through 790 applicants that were that weren't correct that is a huge undertaking and something that's going to slow the process down hugely for them the second part to that um, and the other reason why there isn't a fit is because what's actually happened is what you have to remember here is this is not a downward turn in the market this is a correction in the market the market was going in a certain direction and then 2020 and 21 22 created this huge like sort of increase that was completely out of character for the market and you had this whole host of this whole bunch of people who were who were basically employed by these huge companies on huge salaries that were vastly inflated from where they were previously and then what happens is when the market starts to drop these companies then they go to that to, to that that group and they look at maybe the top 10% underperforming based upon them their own metrics or they look at the departments they're looking to move on and they remove that 10% but suddenly what you've got now is you've got a marketplace with infinitely more candidates but those candidates actually um, uh, whilst their expectation is of earning three four hundred K maybe whatever it you know whatever it was that they were earning at Twitter or, or you know whichever company they work for they're now not going to earn that money in this current market because they were never actually destined to earn that money at this time. It, there's been a correction. So what you've now got is a, is a whole host of really, really well-paid, um, uh, probably over-market salaried um, uh, employ, employees who, who are looking for work at or around the same rate, you know, throwing around these big brands, but actually their ability to deliver for startups and scale-ups is extremely difficult and that is where the huge challenge comes because there's no fit there um, between these people well that's really very very interesting and i just feel like they, so their their value is overinflated their salaries are overinflated and so they're 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 not they're not landing a place and so with all of these applications that are coming into to organizations I just spoke with a, a program manager yesterday that was experiencing this this challenge, uh, talented, uh, looking for another opportunity, uh, has applied for several different positions, mm -hmm. and here's nothing. And finally got one response, and then he gets an interview with AI. And so are organizations using or turning, how are they using AI to screen all of these candidates? And is that a effective way to find that right person? Um, I mean, I think it's I think it's it's difficult. It's difficult to answer that question. I think with AI, it's all dependent upon the information that's in the system and their and their ability to search properly. Um, my feeling is that there are, there will always be a human element to choosing the right people for your business, and I'm not sure that AI is 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 there yet in terms of, of finding those those candidates. And I would be really, if I were in that kind of position, I would be really quite worried maybe that, that maybe we're missing out on some on some amazing candidates I think that the, 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 the real play here is that um, that you must start to internalize what it is that you're trying to do yourself 
Um, I think personal brand, company brand is hugely important. Creating an army of people that want, that believe in what you're doing and your purpose is a way to really attract that level of, 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 of buy-in that you need for a business. Obviously, at a higher level, enterprise level, you're going to need vast amounts more uh, candidates and you need specific skill sets as well and I understand that but I think that um, the responsibility lies on the employer to um, to really focus on what it is that they're trying to do in the first instance and, and AI is going to play it's going to play a part but I think that people really can't be replaced in this particular part of the uh, of the process. Hey, Paul, I want to come back to something you said a few moments ago about these people who were recently laid off, not necessarily being a good fit for the startups. Yeah. So one is is uh, salary expectation or compensation expectation. But I imagine that, uh, you know, coming from an environment when you're one of 100,000 employees uh, yeah. is maybe a bit of a challenge to assimilate into a culture of a startup where, like you said, the founder is absolutely dedicated. I find myself in this position. I eat, sleep and drink my startup, right? It's on my mind constantly. And, uh, and that can be hard because, because it's on your mind constantly, because you're always working and you're doing things, uh, you, know, you as a founder, you might set an expectation, perhaps unwittingly, uh, that everybody else has that same level of commitment as you and and they should be answering emails or messages or what at any you know 24 hours a day seven days a week because that's what you are doing mm -hmm. and I and so I'm curious about the culture of startups and finding people whether on a fractional basis or on a full-time basis can come in and help these startups and uh, how the founders can help or can go about the process of overcoming the challenge of developing a culture from an embryonic stage because you know in my own experience it was just me right start starting out and then bringing on a couple of more people to help me out and and you know so how i, I want you to talk about this this concept of culture in startups and finding talent whether it's fractional talent or full-time talent that that will fit the culture it's not 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 about the compensation but fit the culture of a startup yeah yeah i mean just just very briefly before before we move to to the crux of, of what you've asked me there i mean i think i'm not trying to be disrespectful of the salaries that people have earned i think that the market was created by these companies where they paid people these salaries and then they're going to believe 100 percent that that's where they are as a benchmark and i think that that has created some noise that has just made this situation much more challenging um to to, to your point around cultural fit um Cultural fit is, is absolutely essential to businesses, especially to startups and scale-ups. You know, what, however you want your business to move forwards, those first five or 10 people are so important. Um, and, to, and to add into that, really, what you need are people who obviously can work at an extremely high level and people that can, can provide you know, service and value that you can't as a, fun, as a founder or a founder team. But you also need um, people who are going to believe in the mission of, of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and 
the I think the challenge with um, cultural fit um, and within within the workplace and certainly within within these areas is that if you have been, for example, you know, a member of Twitter or, you know, I was speaking to a guy the other day who's been part of a, an enterprise um, company, a huge enterprise company, and his sole job was to work on page 84 of like a 2000 page you know, websites, um, uh, platform. Um, and it was a big job. I mean, it was a huge company. It was a big job, but realistically is his skill set aligned with us, with a startup and scale up, you know, you know, yourself from a startup and scale up background, you, you've got to be multifaceted. You've got to be able to move from different tasks and you've got to be able to be flexible and, and, and multi-skilled. And that ne isn't necessarily something that you're going to get from somebody who's just left Twitter um, and been there for two or three years. Cause who knows? I mean, they may have been working on one tiny part um, of that. Um, so, so that that's the bit that we'll talk about in terms, in terms of cultural fit. In terms of fractional versus full time, I'm a huge advocate of fractional. Um, my 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 feeling on this is that one of the biggest challenges that founders have is if you're on a two million dollar run rate and then you take on five million dollars, and the five million dollars means that you've got to get to a twenty million dollar um, sort of end game, if you like, for the next round you're actually you're actually having to grow and develop 10 times there where you actually were but with only a five million dollar uh, uh, budget and so whilst on the outside that looks like a huge amount of money it actually isn't a lot of money so you're then going into your roller deck or your vc's roller deck to find a person to do this but actually are those people really fit fit to work my feeling is is that if you can if you understand the culture of your business and what you want why can't you go in and build out, um, you know, we're looking at a model at the moment called the BART model, which is build, operate and transfer, where you build out a team of leaders um, based upon what the founder wants in terms of their personal characteristics, their, their um, you know, way in which they work, empathy, as well as their skill sets and experiences. And you get, you know, a CEO for 20 hours, you get a CRO for 10 hours, you get all these people and you fit them together, you create the expectation. Because actually, at that level um, and at that stage of the business, the impact that those 20 hours for a fractional CEO or a fractional COO or whatever it is, the impact that they're going to have with the experience they have, you know, you're probably going to get a three, four, 400k guy or you know male or female um, to, to come into the business there who's got vast amounts of experience at scaling at 10 times multiples um he's, he's really really kind of working at a high level and in those 10 hours can do the work of you know somebody who you know maybe five ten years behind them they would take them 40 hours so i think that that fractional um kind of um module is becoming more and more and it's certainly something that i'm being asked for more and more now to build a senior leadership team on a fractional basis and then plug in a, a dev team as well to kind of really bring about that mvp so sounds like a, a, a great model yet earlier you talked about that one of the challenges that these organizations have is is the distrust of maybe bringing in a, a fractional person that's not really the a full team member yeah. Well, how do you address that? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it, might, it might just be something that I believe in here, um, but I, I don't think that you have to be full-time to be bought in. I think that cultural alignment is much deeper. It runs much deeper than being full-time. I've, um, I've hired a lot of people in my, in my life, um, and I've hired a lot of full-time people who 
were not bought in, we, you know, we're, we're fully on payroll and we're not bought in. I think that cultural alignment, I go back, I don't know if I've stressed this enough, but I go back to the business understanding its true North Star, understanding what its true purpose and mission is. And I think if a business sells, and when I say sells, it doesn't just sell to its clients, but sells to its internal people, its internal narrative, its hiring. If it sells on that, on that, internal driver it doesn't actually matter whether somebody is a contractor full-time part-time if they're bought into that and they're bought into the vision and everything's above board and everything's sort of transparent and open that is the true that is the true element of buy-in um, in my opinion and in my experience it isn't related to somebody being full-time or you know or part-time contractors well, I think that really takes us to where we want to go next. And you've created that foundation with the true north and that north star, and you've created that that vision, that culture uh, is that you're wanting to create, and getting the right people there. And that is what's really, in my opinion, and I want to hear your take, is what's going to help create that sustainable productivity, so that we don't hit that wall in five years. How you've yeah. got to be able to create the ability to sustain. Uh, that growth, the, the, those 10 times multiples. And that, that really requires a strong cultural glue to build on. So yeah. how do you do that? How do you get to that so that you be, you know, you pass that five-year failure uh, yeah. deadline <laughs> that happens? Um, I think, I mean, I think the way that, that I've seen this work and work really well is if you've got a really ambitious plan and let's say you've got two years to get from here to kind of here, and what you're going to do now is you're going to we're going to we're going to build out this this talent roadmap for you. We're going to look at what senior hires we need to bring in. Are they going to be on a contract basis? Are they going to be on a fractional basis? Um, are we going to have some people in there that are full time? Um, um, you know, the dev teams. Are we going to offshore? Are we going to nearshore? How, how does that work? And how does that align with the culture? I think that the main thing is that you get the buy-in and you get people that fit the narrative. So you know, culturally. I think everybody that I would ever bring into a business now, I would look at them and think, if the whole business adopted their culture, would the business stand still? Would it improve or would it would it decrease? And with each individual, um, and if it was going to decrease, I would say that's not the right fit. They're not the right type of person to bring into the business. What we're finding is we can you can put these teams together and you could say, okay, guys, your 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 kind of um, narrative on this, your your kind of task is to get us from here to here in this time. Here's the package that we're going to pay. Um, this is the compensation. If we're going to give a little bit of equity, we're going to give some equity. If we're going to provide some type of bonus, we're going to provide some bonus. But we're going to be really open and really clear with this. What we're also going to do is we're going to say that if we get to this target, that we will then look to offer. Maybe that the business then is in a position where it's raising its Series A or Series B, and it's getting a substantially you know higher amount of money where we could say we would then look to offer you this package with these options or. If this is not something that you want to do or not something that we want to do, we would ask that you help us to onboard your successor at that stage. So I think it's just about having really open, grown-up conversations with with everybody at that early stage and not trying to oversell something that, that you can't deliver.
Paul, I love the idea of build, operate, transfer, this bot model. Uh, I come from an event environment and I have to give a shout out to my colleague, Alan Shaw, who's been doing this forever. And, and he has been trying to create in this event environment and talking about major events. So, uh, Olympic scale, regional, uh, you know, major regional events, so on and so forth. Uh, this core team model, this is what he calls it. He calls it core team model, which is, Hey, you know, the, the current hiring practices for major events is kind of broken because what happens is, oh, I, you know, according to these milestones, I need to bring in a head of marketing or I need to bring in a, a, a VP of, of venue development or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is that the burn rate, in effect, these organizations are startups, right? The, Salt Lake is bidding to host a, an event, you know, the Olympic Games in 2034. They will create a startup, right? And yes. oftentimes what happens in this in this event space is they say, oh, well, to do some of these, these major foundational works, uh, I got to bring in a really experienced person. So I hire this VP of marketing and I hire this vp of venue development and i hire this uh cto and these people they all come in and say well if i'm the chief i'm the director uh, i'm the director of what i have no staff i can't do this work so so then these these early hires they push back on the organization say well if you want me to deliver all this stuff then i need to bring in a team what happens the payrolls explode in these organizations and they end up having cash flow issues because they don't have the cash to pay the amount of people that they're bringing on. So an alternative approach is, hey, instead of you going in and hiring all these big wigs, you know, these key people, let's have this outsourced core team, which is basically like you talk about this fractional approach to say, okay, with this much smaller but more experienced core group of people, we are going to prepare this foundation to help this organization grow. And then we will hand it over when, you know, after a year and a half or two years, when you get on your feet and uh, you, you've got more sponsor revenues coming in and so on. And so we're going to take it and we're going to hand it over to you and we move on to the next thing. And so I really like this approach that you've created because I think it's not only applicable to startups, but I'm seeing other industries where if you are in a major growth mode, you know, bringing on this kind of core team of experts that you are creating, you know, is, I think it's really, really innovative approach. And so I commend you for, for coming up with it. And I'm, and I'm curious, uh, it's not been a, it's not you haven't been doing it too long but you know what are some of the early wins or early results that you're seeing uh by implementing these, these these new approaches talent investment program talent as a service the bot model you know you're starting to work with startups you're working with uh vcs and other uh funders to make sure that their their organ you know their investments are protected and they you know are, are de-risking you know what are some of the early results the returns that you're seeing from the work that you're doing 
Well, firstly, thank you. Thank you for that uh, for that introduction to this. I think the first thing that I wanted to say about this is that all of these models are built upon um, the needs of the target market. They're, be, they're built upon the needs of, in, of founders and founder teams. And as part of the research that I did, I spoke with so many people and said, so how does that work? And does that really work for you? And they'd say, you know, um, you know, for example, we, we'll engage with the recruitment business and and, um, and they'll, they'll, they'll just do our key hires, but they don't know how to do the, the, the tech dev team. Um, or we'll we'll build out a dev team, but we but we won't you know that they but they won't understand how to pick up the marketers and various other things. And I think that kind of what I did from that was I worked back from that and thought, well, we need a more holistic service. And then um, the light bulb moment for me was actually in Miami um, uh, earlier this year, and I went to an AI. Um, kind of events and they were talking at this AI event about the need for, um, well, they were saying that eventually a lot of these roles were just getting moved off to AI um, profiles, okay, personas, I think is the right terminology. And that effectively what um, founders and specifically non-technical um, uh, founders, what they really needed was like a plug and play um, um, like methodology. And the plug and play on this is, that you know, you get an idea, you stood in the shower, you get an idea, and you think, how do I, how am I going to do this? And they were talking about this like AI technology where you could go on and you could build an org structure of, of how you wanted this company to work. This person, you know, I need a CRO with this background, this experience, with this personality, believes in this, this, and this. I need a CMO that etc etc and i kind of go through this i build out this and i build out the dev team that i want and the ai then could fill this now i sat there like shaking my head i was like ai is not going to fill that right because there's still too many variables certainly not this stage and not for in my opinion not for many years but when i looked at that and i thought about the bot model something that we've been considering a, a business partner and mine uh, and i have been considering for a while i thought well actually we can do this plug and play piece because if we actually qualify candidates properly in terms of their experience their skill set their their personality traits their levels of empathy their levels of buy-in or sort of you know um are they into sort of um into sort of health tech or, you know all of this kind of sort of deep information can we actually um, tap into that and then can we start to find the right candidates the specific right candidates for each individual business and pull together a team that works together and then once that team works together could that team then be lifted and dropped into another company and another company and another company and so from a usability point of view what you get is you get a founder who um, who has a budget um, is non-technical, has a vision, knows what they want, knows what, knows how they, you know, they need to get to a certain MVP, and wants to hire a group of, of senior people and a team of of of, of devs. Um, and we can kind of pull all that together into one space. We can do it in budget, and we can say, okay, it's going to take you nine months. This is what it's going to cost. And at the end of that nine months, we'll transfer it all across to you for. X. Um, and uh, at that stage, you've got this plug and play uh, methodology. And, you know, from a very early point of view, we, we are now, um, to, to your question about kind of the wins that we've had, we've seen some really early traction with this. Um, and uh, like you say, we've not been, we've not actually been practicing this for too long. But one thing that is coming at the moment, which I can't say too much about at the moment, but it is, um, 
uh, a deal that we've recently struck with a with a large um, uh, East Coast VC who's got a significant like in the hundreds um, uh, of uh, tech startups within their portfolio and they're looking to integrate this bot model into their whole business to deal with all of their their, their high level um, and senior senior team um, to build out teams that can kind of plug and play for all of their portfolio companies. So um, yeah, we're really excited about this opportunity and something that um, we think can really make a big a big impact to the failure in five years ratio. <laughs> I love the idea and the model, Paul, and I'm <clears throat> I'm really interested. I, I, I know we don't have time to get into all the workings of it, but that 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 transition out is what really interests me. How do you leave that company in a uh, in a position where they have you know they're able to 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 fill that void of this you know super team that's now leaving? What is the process of really upskilling the people that they're working with to, to make that transition um, uh, viable? Yeah, I mean, I think at this moment in time, I'd have to say, you know, I, I'm unfortunately I can't sit here and talk to you about the about the multiple exit points, you know, because we'd probably be a year and two years down the line before we get to the to the nitty gritty of those. But I think in theory, the way that this works is it's a really open conversation from the very beginning. You know, it's it's the founder saying, "This is what I'm looking for. These are my expectations. This is what I really need in terms of skill set." And I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm going to, I want you to build this team for me and we're going to get to a certain point in this journey and at that milestone, we're going to have a discussion about, you know, are we looking to make these people permanent? If so, what is the comp package that we're looking to offer at that stage? If not, um, could we get those guys to help us to onboard their successors? Because I think, right. I know I mentioned that before to you, but I think, I think people onboarding their successors as part of a really grown-up conversation, is one of the greatest things you can do. Because like if that. you've got, if you're, if you're exiting a, a business in the right way, you should be able to 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 onboard your successor. And by doing that, you should realistically be able to kind of create that continuity and that consistency and as well. It, that is such an important part, Paul. I mean, so many organizations miss that continuity because the person is gone before. There's a there's a gap, yeah. and productivity suffers. I mean, I like that. And if you've got the right culture. You're doing it for the right reasons. Listen, we the we were always expecting to be here for a short time, so that's why we're bringing you in and to take my place. There's there's a perfect excuse for that. I mean, yeah. I really love that. There's a one question that I don't care if you're a startup and you're listening to this or you're a established business that I would be asking about every single person that Paul said. <laughs> Is the business going to increase with this person or decrease? And uh, that's not just for startups. That's for anybody. I mean, it seems like any, every single person on the team needs to, to basically justify their existence as adding to the growth of, of, of the organization. Anyway, that's just something I wanted to highlight, Christian, that I thought was, uh, was brilliant and, and uh, gets to be shared. I think, well, I think just, just the last, go ahead, Saul. No, sorry. I was just going to say to, to that point. You know, many years ago, um, there's a there's a UK business called Timpsons, 
and the guy from Timpsons um, was, uh, I was at a talk and he talked about only ever employing nines and tens, right? So I'm not going to get into kind of what that might mean, but but effectively what he meant was, he, and he, what he said was that we all know who the nines and tens are, right? They're, they're the people who perform, sure they perform, but they're also the people that help their colleagues, they're the people that are there to support people, they're the people that are most conscientious, they're, they're not the guys that take every Monday off because they've been drinking all weekend, they're not, you know, they're the guys that you rely upon and, and every one of us could sit here in a really kind of simplistic way and think of those nines and tens. And so if you then transpose what that means in terms of alignment to culture with your business, and then you go back to the point that I made before that you've just reiterated, which is that for each person that you speak to and that you interview for your business, um, if you were to look at them, you've got to get enough information to try and understand more about them as a person, as a character and their buy-in. But if every one of those people, if you could look at them in isolation and think, if my whole business had to be sat around their character, um, would it would it increase? Would it would, would we get better? Would we stay the same or would we dip? Because let's be honest, we've all sat there with people who we didn't really like or didn't really trust, but they came with this amazing resume and we thought, oh, they're gonna double, they're gonna treble the, the revenues and they've got, you know, they've they've told me that they've won this and they've done that. We've all been sat there and we've we've and effectively what we're doing there is we're selling our souls to the devil, right? Because we know that we shouldn't be hiring them because they don't fit what we're about. And and I guess what I'm saying is, is that in my experience with 10,000 people that my companies have hired is just don't do it. Like do not do it. If it doesn't feel right, always hire on people first. The, you know, searching for experience and, and skills and all of that stuff can be can be found. Searching to, 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 to work with great people is is the real challenge wow okay well we've had a we've had a 10 when it comes to our guest today paul uh i really appreciate you joining us uh before we conclude spencer do you have any final thoughts or questions for paul yeah just thank you so much for coming we know that uh you've got a lot on your plate love the love the models and the ideas and and the passion thank you for uh, you know, come hang out with us in, in the uh, in the winterland. If you're missing that that cool weather, we're uh, this, is a, this is a beautiful part of the world. I don't know if you've ever been. Yeah, I keep getting invited actually. By Christian keeps inviting me, so I'm going to have to take you up on that and come and see you. Yeah, well, you definitely need to come. I mean, there's a really uh, you know fast growing tech community here in Utah. Yep. You know, known colloquially as Silicon Slopes, and uh, yeah. And there are a lot of companies here, I think, have benefit from your services. And speaking of that, Paul, if there are people, viewers, listeners who are watching or, or you know, consuming our conversation today and they want to learn more about what you do, what Max Tech does, uh, how you could potentially help them, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn for me is the, uh, is the number one. I think um, emails have been burnt during COVID. I think people get enough emails that they don't want to see them. So for me, LinkedIn, by all means, you know, hashtag better call Paul is, uh, as you, as you very kindly mentioned, give me, give me a shout on LinkedIn DM and uh, connect and let's, um, let's have a conversation. Definitely. Absolutely. And people do please reach out to Paul. He's, he's fantastic. Spencer, you've been helping, gosh, I don't know how many years now you've been helping organizations develop high performing teams build leadership uh, all over the world. And if people want to connect with you, 
uh, what's the best way for them to do so? You know the answer, Christian. What is it? That would be LinkedIn. That's it. <laughs> hey, but before, <laughs> but thank you for that opportunity. And let me just say one thing about our next guest that we have coming on on December the 5th, same time, that's noon Eastern time, we'll be having Julie Hutchison, who is the CEO of Core Performance. And so she's going to wow. be talking about from stressed out to calm for ambitious executives. So uh, stressed out, need to be calm, and you're a busy executive, join us next week. And Christian, Paul, do you know why I, I I love talking with Christian? Because he's such an incredible human being, isn't he? And uh, he adds, I agree. He adds so much to value uh, value to organizations. Every single person I introduce him to, they just fall in love with him. So if you want to fall in love with Christian too, how how can people find you to, to, to make that, that, that new affair uh, grow? Uh, well, gosh, uh, I'm blushing here. My, my wife of 33 years may, may take, you know, I'm not talking about like, hey, that. I'm minute. talking about a business you falling in love. Now you're talking about professionally speaking here. Uh, I'll do the, the three for three LinkedIn, right? Just look up Christian Napier on LinkedIn yeah. you know, there and, uh, uh, happy to connect with anybody. So Paul, thank you again so much for giving us an hour of your super valuable time and sharing your insights. Listeners, viewers, thank you for joining us and carving out time from your busy schedule to be with us today. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon.